0: Welcome in to OutKick the show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Tuesday wherever you are across this country or this great land. Um, I teased yesterday that we were going to have some news. That news is now out there. I want to welcome Kurt Schilling to OutKick. Kurt is, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame baseball player who has been discriminated against because of his political opinions. And as a result, was not voted into the Hall of Fame. Um, I think that ESPN canceled him because they didn't like his political beliefs. But I think Kurt is a uniquely talented broadcaster when it comes to analyzing Major League Baseball. And I'm excited to welcome him into the OutKick fold. Look, OutKick is anti-cancel culture. We don't believe that anyone should be canceled for their political opinions or their sports opinions or their opinions in general. We embraced a robust and uninhibited First Amendment at this company. We are the antidote to the woke insanity that ESPN peddles every single day. And we are growing in a rapid fashion because of that. We tripled our audience in January of last, uh, this past January, compared to last year. I challenge any Decent-sized sports media company to meet those goals, and we're just getting started. So welcome to OutKick, Kurt Schilling. You should be in the Hall of Fame, but as a uh, small token of our appreciation, instead you get to break everything down. Uh, as it pertains to the world of Major League Baseball and beyond with OutKick. We're excited to welcome Kurt in. He'll be starting soon. We needed to get better in our Major League Baseball coverage at OutKick. I'm well aware of that, and I think we went out and got one of the people that is best about talking about Major League Baseball in the entire country, and so we are excited uh, to have Kurt. And I think he's going to be a tremendous asset to our company going forward. So welcome to OutKick, Kurt Schilling. I hope you guys will enjoy his content and thank you for allowing OutKick to continue to grow. By the way, we're getting the OutKick VIP up and running. We've had so many different things going on. I've always described the past several years of OutKick. We've grown so fast that it's like trying to change a tire on a car that's going full speed on the highway. Uh, but Tommy Laren's going to be doing an OutKick VIP uh, Zoom session for all of you out there. I'll be doing it down the line. We're going to be giving all of you who are OutKick VIPs exclusive access uh, to a variety of different OutKick-related events uh, and, uh, and shows. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy that going forward. Uh, so we appreciate uh, everyone who is an OutKick VIP. You can go sign up at outkick.com slash VIP, uh, I believe. And by the way, Tommy is dominating the amount of audience that she has for her shows through the roof. I mean, hardly anybody can match the amount of size of her shows that she has from her social media following. So uh, credit to her and her staff and so many people at OutKick. We got a lot of good stuff coming your way. Okay. Okay. Uh, This story has just come down, so I am still learning about it. I'm going to read the story with you uh, because the details are just now coming out. So Alabama men's basketball team right now is the overall number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They've had a very good year. They've only had, I believe, one loss in the SEC all season, and their best player is future lottery pick Brandon Miller. But you will remember that the dark side of the Alabama basketball program this year was that, and this is crazy, Darius Miles, who was a scholarship member of the Alabama men's basketball team, uh, was involved in a murder of a woman in Tuscaloosa. In particular, that woman's name, and I want to make sure that we name her, uh, Jamae J- John A. Harris was shot to death on the strip in Tuscaloosa. She had, at the time of the shooting, a five-year-old boy. Uh, And Darius Miles was charged, one of two suspects charged with capital murder for that shooting. So that is the background of this story for those of you who have not been following it. Darius Miles kicked off the team. I don't know, I'm assuming that he's still in prison. Maybe he has posted uh, bail and is out. He's awaiting capital murder charges. Well, now comes more details. And I'm reading directly <clears throat> uh, from uh, AL.com, which is a website that covers the state of Alabama. Alabama's freshman basketball standout, Brandon Miller, brought the gun used on the Tuscaloosa strip killing uh, to, uh, to that shooting, according to uh, the testimony that occurred surrounding these capital murder charges. Miles contacted Miller. Miles was the Alabama player who's been charged with capital murder. Contacted Miller, asked him to bring his gun where they were, according to police. When Miller got to the scene, Miles told the shooter, the heat is in the hat, meaning a gun was present. Uh, Miles added, there's one in the head meaning around was in the chamber. Uh, Miles then moved his girlfriend back to get her out of the line of fire, and there was then a shooting, and another Alabama basketball player, Jaden Bradley, was also at the scene. Uh, asked why Miller was not charged for bringing a loaded handgun to a murder scene when the shooting was occurring, He said, that's not a question I can answer. There's nothing we could charge him with, according to the law. Uh, Alabama's basketball coach, Nate Oates, said Miller, quote, is not in any trouble. Direct quote from Alabama men's basketball coach, Nate Oates. We knew about that. Can't control everything everybody does outside of practice. Nobody knew that was going to happen. College kids are out. Brandon hasn't been in any type of trouble, nor is he in any type of trouble in this case. Wrong spot at the wrong time. My mind is kind of blown by this, honestly. So there was no punishment given to Brandon Miller for bringing a loaded handgun that was used in the murder just off campus in Tuscaloosa? Look, this is an awful tragedy. But the idea that Brandon Miller is still enrolled, frankly, at the University of Alabama and representing the University of Alabama's basketball team when he brought a loaded gun that was used in a murder... And that Nate Oates just said he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Excuse me. He literally made it the wrong place and the wrong time when he brought a loaded handgun to be used in a murder at the behest of a teammate. I don't see how Brandon Miller plays for the rest of the year, frankly. And and I, I can't believe that it appears Alabama was trying to cover up the fact that Brandon Miller was involved in this in any way. Frankly, it sounds to me like Brandon Miller got very favorable treatment that he was not charged in a crime himself. He brought a loaded handgun to a teammate in, uh, in, a, uh, in, in an incident, right? Like, if you ask someone to bring you a loaded handgun, you give it to them, and then they're involved in a murder... To me, it seems at the very minimum degree you would be involved as an accessory to that murder. Because without your bringing the loaded handgun to the scene, there never would have been a murder. So I don't see how you wouldn't be charged in some way as an accessory to that murder, personally. Now you can say, well, he didn't know what the loaded handgun was going to be used for. But if you get told to bring a loaded handgun to a street corner in Tuscaloosa, isn't it reasonable to believe that that gun is going to be used in a nefarious fashion in a criminal manner? I mean, he wasn't asking him to bring a loaded handgun to the gun range so that they could go shoot targets. He wasn't asking him to bring a loaded handgun so that they could go skeet shoot out on a farm he was asking, being asked late at night to bring a loaded handgun to a corner just off the campus of the University of Alabama. And then a murder occurred. And for Nate Oates to come out and say, wrong place, wrong time? I mean, he chose to be there. Uh, again, Nate Oates' comments, wrong spot at the wrong time? Can't control every, everything everybody does outside of practice? I don't know. I think maybe saying don't kill anyone is something that I would like for a coach to be involved in trying to limit, right? Remember, Nate Oates asked Ray Lewis for advice on how to deal with this. I don't see how in the world that Brandon Miller is still representing the University of Alabama men's basketball team in any way. I mean, his tenure at Alabama should be over and I frankly don't understand how he avoided criminal charges in this case and how Alabama was able to keep this quiet until almost March. Um, This is, like, we talk about guys getting suspended for a variety of different uh, incidents, right? It's not uncommon for guys to get suspended. Bringing a loaded handgun to a murder scene seems like it's something that shouldn't allow you to continue to represent a basketball team. And... Wrong place, wrong time. When you create the wrong place by helping to facilitate that, by bringing a loaded handgun to a scene, I don't understand how in the world you are still representing the University of Alabama. I think Brandon Miller's tenure uh, with the Crimson Tide has to come to a close. I mean, and if you take away, strip away the fandom, and you just say from any school in America... If one of your players brought a loaded handgun to a scene and a murder occurred, how in the world does that guy continue to represent your university? I think that's a pretty bright line rule. Don't facilitate a murder. Seems like a very lenient standard for what we would expect from an athlete who is on scholarship at a university. It's staggering to me that Brandon Miller is still... Uh, representing the University of Alabama in any capacity, uh, notwithstanding his talents, and that Alabama clearly believes there's something wrong here or they would have been forthcoming about this from the beginning. Uh, This is crazy. It's crazy. Um, A couple of other, I've got a bunch of stories out there. So that is actually a super serious story in real time. I'm reading the story and reacting to it. Uh, That's my take on the Brandon Miller story. Um, Meghan Markle, much less serious, is supposedly upset and overwhelmed based on a South Park episode that ridiculed her and considering legal action. And let me just tell you this. The greatest thing that could happen to South Park is Meghan Markle suing because she doesn't like her portrayal in a satirical cartoon airing on Comedy Central it would be a gift from the heavens for Trey Parker and Matt Stone to be sued by Meghan Markle. So I hope she files a lawsuit here. Whatever happened, this is my big advice for everybody out there in the media. Laugh. People are sometimes going to ridicule you and sometimes they're going to do it in a mean-spirited fashion. Deal with it. Nobody cares. You're rich. You have a good life. Sometimes people say mean things about you. Just friggin' deal with it. It reminds me back in the day, and I wish we were still in this era, when in the 80s and 90s, there were SNL uh, actors, comedians, who would portray prominent politicians. They would often have an interaction with those portrayers. In fact, I remember George Bush Sr., bringing Dana Carvey to the White House to do his George Bush impersonation literally in the White House at White House events. Being able to laugh at yourself is a huge part, I believe, of me wanting to be a fan of you. If you are so self-serious that you take every single lampooning as the utmost affront to your individual essence... You're taking yourself way too serious. I take my opinions seriously. I'll tell you exactly what I think. I really don't care what anybody else says in reaction. And if I had an actual humorous critic, I would have him on the show. If somebody could make me laugh making fun of me, like, so what? It doesn't really impact my life. I like to laugh. And we've lost that. Everybody is so serious it feels like in the modern era that one, basically Democrats don't get made fun of, right? Biden is one of the easiest presidents of all time to lampoon. Mayor Pete is one of the easiest candidates of all time. Kamala Harris, goodness gracious. But SNL has become such left-wing propaganda that they won't even mock Democrats. I along for the day when Bill Clinton and George W. Bush would get ridiculed to the high heavens all the time on the late night talk shows. Whether it was David Letterman, whether it was Jay Leno, whether it was Johnny Carson, everybody used to all get made fun of. And then Stephen Colbert destroyed late night television by essentially turning his broadcast into a propaganda uh, arm of the DNC and going after Trump every night, all the time. I don't mind people making fun of Trump. He's obviously a very easy person to make fun of, given his own histrionics and his own profile. I actually think it's a good sign in America that our politicians are made fun of. But basically, they've stopped lampooning and ridiculing and satirizing all politicians. And for the most part, it's turned into, late night television has, propaganda for the Democrat Party. And that's disappointing to me. I want even-handed ridicule. It's easy to make fun of Biden. Rip him. It's easy to make fun of Trump. Rip him. Meghan Markle should be ridiculed. She is an insufferable human being. At least her public profile is. Maybe I would love her one-on-one. Maybe she would be incredibly endearing. That might well be the case. But the fact that she's upset and overwhelmed by a television cartoon that made fun of her does not make me think that the two of us would get along in a great fashion. Again, somebody needs to talk some truth into Prince Harry, whatever his title is now, and just be like, dude, everything you guys do is making people hate you more. So whatever PR staff you have now, fire them all and just be honest. Open invite. I have no idea if Prince Harry has ever heard of me. Open invite. Prince Harry kick Oprah to the curb, stop trying to make yourself sound like a victim, and just be a normal dude. You can have a normal dude conversation with me. I am the most normal person on the planet. It would be great PR advice. He's never going to do it. Instead, probably, Meghan Markle is going to end up suing South Park and make South Park absolutely ecstatic because it would be the best thing that could ever happen to him. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. Andrea Mitchell is 76 years old. She has been in the media for a very long time. She had a sit-down interview with Kamala Harris. And we all know how sit-down interviews with Kamala Harris typically go because Kamala Harris can barely answer questions without cackling again and seeming super weird. But I'm not even talking about Kamala Harris here because Andrea Mitchell personifies with the question that she asked, which I'm going to get to in a moment, why overwhelming majorities of Republicans and independents, 79% of uh, Republicans, 66% of, uh, of independents, 28% of Democrats, by, by the way, have a really awful opinion of the news media. Now, I'm in the news media but I am honest with you guys. I'm in the opinion business. I try to tell you every single day for better or worse, exactly what I think. And some of you agree and some of you disagree. But I'm not pretending that every one of my opinions is straight down the middle and I'm just standing there trying to call balls and strikes. Andrea Mitchell is. I think there are right choices to be made in America and I tell you what I believe those choices are every single day. Andrea Mitchell would claim if she were on this show with me right now, that she is a nonpartisan, unbiased journalist, that she's not a Democrat, that she's not a Republican, that her goal is to elucidate the the truth on behalf of the American public. B.S. Because in her interview of Kamala Harris, she asserted as the premise for the interview that Ron DeSantis is not allowing slavery or the aftermath of slavery to be taught to Florida school children. This is crazy, okay? Yes, he is. That is history. Slavery happened, and the period after slavery happened, it's called Reconstruction. Everybody teaches that in all aspects of American public schools. I went to public school K-12 in Nashville, Tennessee. I was taught about slavery and its aftermath. If you go to public school in Florida, you are taught about slavery and its aftermath. In the question, and we probably need to splice that question in when we cut this and share the segment, Andrea Mitchell says that that isn't occurring. And yet MSNBC, NBC, they haven't uttered a single word to apologize for this error. And this is important. I don't think you should ever apologize for getting an opinion wrong. Right? Unless you feel like your opinion isn't in some way representative of what you intended to say, right? You should apologize for getting facts wrong. Because if you get facts wrong, then that destroys your opinion, right? Because an opinion is only as strong as the facts upon which it is based. And a lot of people struggle, I've talked about this for years, with the difference between facts and opinions. NBC should 100% apologize for that because they uttered as factual truth a... Lie. They uttered something that was false and treated it as if it were true. And as a result, whatever answer Kamala Harris gave to that question is rooted in falsehood. I don't know who gave Andrea Mitchell this question. I don't know how a 100% false question became a premise that she based a question on. But NBC got it wrong, MSNBC got it wrong. And the fact that they are allowing this to continue is a further delegitimization of the news media in this country. Because most people out there understand now, there is very little, if any, unbiased middle-of-the-road news that exists in this country. Everybody's got an agenda. And it's fine if you have an agenda. But just don't hide it. And that's why I continue to say, Republicans running for president, Washington Post, New York Times, MSNBC, CNN, all of them, have cut their own throats. They don't have any legitimacy with anybody other than the far left wing because they are default propaganda arms of the Democrat Party. That's fine. Own it. Don't pretend that you're anything else. They're still trying to pretend they're unbiased news sources and overwhelmingly the vast majority of the American public is rejecting and repudiating that idea because they understand it's a lie. Uh, Don Lemon, speaking of uh, idiocy. I don't have any problem with Don Lemon being an idiot. Don Lemon shared his opinion that women in their 20s, 30s, and 40s were past their prime based on a Google search and said that as a result, 51-year-old Nikki Haley should be careful criticizing anyone over the age of 70. I don't have that problem. I think it's quite clear that Joe Biden has passed his prime. Joe Biden's 80. I don't know when Joe Biden's uh, prime as a politician happened in his 50-year political career, my guess would probably be in his 40s, 50s, maybe it was in his 60s. If you listen to Joe Biden talk 20 years ago, you can tell Joe Biden today is a pale approximation of Joe Biden as a politician 20 years ago in terms of his physical ability to communicate. So he's past his prime. Um, I think most people are past their prime when they get into their 70s. My opinion, I'm 43. Some of you may say, Clay Travis, you didn't ever have a prime. Maybe that's true. Maybe I've never peaked that high. I never even got to a prime level. But this is common in athletics, right? We say somebody's lost their fastball. They don't have the pop that they used to in their arm. They don't have the ability to hit home runs like they used to. They can't, they're not as fast. Like this happens in athletics all the time. Your athletic prime comes and fades quickly. But Don Lemon was totally wrong in that opinion, I believe, and has been ripped to the high heavens for it. I don't believe he should be fired. Well, CNN says he's going to be back on the air tomorrow, Wednesday, and that he is now going to enter formal training. I'd like to watch Don Lemon's formal training as to what he is being taught as it pertains to women in their primes and to his latent sexism in general. Look, Don Lemon, I don't think, is a very smart guy. We played over the weekend 10 years ago, Don Lemon giving... Uh, Advice to Black Americans, which basically was rooted in individual responsibility, which would be considered totally unacceptable today. Um, And so this idea that Don Lemon has ever been a voice for sanity uh, or a voice of intelligence, I fundamentally reject. But I also think the idea that he has to go to formal training because he shared an opinion that outraged too many people is laughably absurd. But welcome back to uh, CNN, Don Lemon. Uh, May their ratings continue to collapse even more as they continue to be embracing you. I saw this story and I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, Remember when Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio were trying to lecture Donald Trump about how many ventilators they needed back in March of 2020 and Trump brought in all of these different factories to produce as many ventilators as possible. And to his credit, Trump said, I predict that we're going to end up with way too many ventilators and these are not going to be able to be used. Trump was right. And I saw this story and I said, this should be a much bigger story than it is. New York City is auctioning off $200 million. They just auctioned it off. $200 million in unnecessary COVID supplies. And they got 500k for them, and they're almost exclusively going to be used, especially the ventilators, based on their scrap metal value. So you can sit around and say 200 million dollars we, the American taxpayer, spent on these products, and they just sold back for 500 thousand dollars. That means you and me and everybody out there who paid federal tax dollars got one four hundredth of the dollars that we spent on these COVID supplies back. That is 399 four hundreds of the money that we spent on just this $200 million in COVID supplies were totally wasted. How much of the trillions of dollars in COVID spending that our federal government spent that you and I now have a 31 plus trillion dollar national debt? was totally wasted. I bet 80 or 90%. That's my opinion. I bet 80 or 90% of the federal COVID dollars that were spent were completely and totally wasted and we got almost no benefit from it. And now you and me and generations to come of Americans have $31 trillion plus in debt racked up that we're going to be paying for for the rest of our lives and, frankly, the rest of our country's existence. I don't know that I'd feel very good about owning that debt if I were China or Japan or any of the countries that keep buying all this debt. Uh, Roald Dahl, and I might have mispronounced his name, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the BFG, Matilda, lots of big time, James and the Giant, Peach, one of the most successful children's authors of all time. They are now censoring some of the language in his books to make uh, the language more uh, woke. And I am utterly opposed to this. And I think this is an area where our conversation is not very intelligent. And let me explain what I mean. There's a big discussion right now about censoring books, okay? I am 1 billion percent against censoring books. When they decided that Dr. Seuss had written some books that were too offensive and they shouldn't be published anymore. I was animated and I was 100% correct that I despise censorship of books. I despise changing language in books as an author. I'm a scintilla as successful as Dahl, but I find the idea that any of my books, that any of the words that I wrote, and I wrote them all, and I got a new book coming out in September. For better or worse, that's me. I write my books. And if anybody, after I were dead, went into my books and started changing the language in them, I'd be furious. In fact, I wish someone would draft a document that authors could sign that would be binding, disallowing anyone to ever change the language in their books in a post-publication way without the author's consent. I would love to sign that. I bet there are a ton of authors out there would also love to sign that. I don't want my words being changed after I die without my consent. I wrote the book. I published it that way for a reason. If people don't like it, that's their right. But I don't like the idea of censoring and changing the way that a book has been written to try to ameliorate, moderate, satisfy modern day woke standards. I think that is a total disgrace. And I say that as someone, since everybody has to be an expert, I say that as both an author and someone with an advanced degree in uh, writing. I've got an MFA uh, in creative writing. So there you go, Uh, which is considered to be the post-grad degree in creative writing from Vanderbilt. In addition to my uh, law degree, I got double grad degrees. Boom. All right, there you go. So I find this idea to be very, very troubling. I also think our conversation on this issue is freighted. There's all this talk about banning books. Schools aren't banning books. They are determining at what age it's appropriate to read books, okay? And this conversation really frustrates me. And I think people do a really poor job of understanding it. So take it outside of books for a moment. Movies are rated based on the age appropriateness of the movie. You got the G, you got the PG, you got the, uh, the PG-13, R, NC-17, all the way up to XXX, all right? I'm a little bit familiar with every range from G to XXX, all right? It isn't censorship or banning a movie to say, I don't know that this eight-year-old is ready for a PG-13 or an R-rated movie. In fact, that's the very foundation of parenting. That's why we have these uh, th- these ratings in the first place. Because parents need to understand and have some idea, hey, what age range is this movie appropriate? And we can debate, right? R movies, you can't get in until you're 17 or older, I think. And so you you need to be theoretically your parents need to be there buying the ticket for you. I'm old enough to remember my parents would sometimes go buy me a ticket for a movie like Predator or RoboCop or Nightmare on Elm Street, an R-rated movie that they were okay with me going to see. I grew up, you might remember this era. I grew up in the era at least in Tennessee where it didn't matter the violence They were like, is it just violence or is it nudity? We could see like my generation in Tennessee, I'm 43. You could watch like 100 people get murdered, but you couldn't have like a a graphic sex scene, right? That was was the age that I grew up in, right? Um, You were fine with violence. Is it just violence or is it nudity? Um, It's funny to think about now because... I think a lot of people would be like, the nudity, like seeing a boob is way less uh, threatening to a 13-year-old than seeing 100 people get mowed down in a shoot-em-up movie. But we would go see the shoot-em-up movies, right? Um, and so that, and if you want to think about it, everybody out there, I bet if you're around my age, I bet you saw the Friday the 13th movies, you saw The Nightmare on Elm Street. I bet your parents never would have taken you to see Basic Instinct, right? Just kind of to put that into context, like the 90s and the late 80s and everything else, like the world that we lived in. Uh, And that Basic Instinct, by the way, would seem quite quaint now compared to the massive amounts of pornography that are available everywhere on the internet, just FYI. But there is a difference between debating at what age it is appropriate for kids to be reading books based on the subject matter is not banning the books. You can go out, in theory, to a bookstore or go to a library and read a book for yourself outside of school. In fact, if you're only reading books in school, you're probably an ignoramus. I tell my own kids all the time, dad has one rule on books. If you will read it, I will buy it for you. That's my rule. So far, never have run into major age-appropriate related issues for any of my kids with the books that they want to buy. I am so encouraging of them to read because I think it's so incredibly beneficial that my rule as a parent has been dad only has one rule on books. He will buy you any book as long as you promise that you're going to read it. And I might read it myself and quiz you on it to make sure that you're actually reading it. That's a corollary, the added aspect here, okay? We're not talking about anybody out there saying this book shouldn't be available to anyone. That's an actual ban. That's what censorship is. We're just talking about age-appropriate nature for books, just like we talk about with movies all the time. So I think there's a really broken conversation that is going on here. I am, and I want everybody out there to understand this, simultaneously opposed to censoring any books, to changing any language inside of them, to banning any book for any reason. I am also, as a parent, simultaneously in favor of age-appropriate reading lists for kids inside of schools. And I think that's where most people are. So the conversation here to me seems to be freighted and broken based on the media wildly overusing terms like ban and censor as it pertains to what books kids are reading in school. So I would just encourage all of you to think aggressively about the way the media is covering this story and ask yourself why is it being conveyed to me in this fashion? Finally, Speaking of content, I went to this new Marvel movie, this Ant-Man and the Wasp and like the quantum theory or whatever it's called. Movies in this Marvel universe, and I understand there's people out there with issues with Woke Disney, everything else. My eight-year-old is obsessed with superhero movies. So we watch all of these superhero movies. I took him, my wife went, one of my sons went, we had family of four, went and watched this new Marvel movie on Sunday. I was talking earlier about losing a game of horse, which was embarrassing to my 12-year-old because he beat me H-O-R-S-E to zero. It's a tough moment for a dad. I'm supposed to play him. Got good weather here in Nashville. Going to go to the Preds game with my kids a little bit later tonight. But I'm supposed to get a, a rematch in horse here coming up. But I was having this conversation and... I'm watching the movie and I was totally lost because I haven't watched this whole universe. I'm not seeing all these shows. I go see the movies when they're in the theater and it was a pretty tough moment for dad. About halfway through the movie, I'm not even kidding about this, I had to lean over to my eight-year-old and I had to ask him to explain what was going on because I was totally lost. I'm just saying these Marvel movies are getting complicated when 43-year-olds have to ask their 8-year-old to explain some of the finer plot points, I can't keep up anymore. I need, like, a parent, uh, like, uh, uh, cliff notes that I can read before I go see a movie so I know what in the world's going on because there's so many different narrative arcs and so many different multi-platforms and multiverses and quantum theory and everything. I don't know what's going on. I mean, the villain in this movie... There's like 4 billion of them at the end and I can't even keep up with it all. So anyway, I'm definitely an old man now. I can't even keep up with superhero movies. I am Clay Travis. As always, I encourage you, DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick the Show. I'll be live tomorrow. Then I'm headed up to New York City for the weekend. I got to go get headshots. We don't need to talk about it. This, again, has been Outkick the Show. Welcome to Kurt Schilling. Thanks to all of you for supporting Outkick. Thumbs up. See y'all.